Trading Nut, episode 65. I would say, oh, let's just see, let's just see what happens here. That is not having a, a fundamental money management strategy. And if you don't have one of those, you are going to get into a situation where the market dictates what happens to you instead of you dictating what happens to you. The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax, learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today we've got Trent Smalley on the show. Now, Trent's from Omaha Charts, and if you're thinking, the name Omaha rings a bell, yeah, well, look, it's, it's a place in the US, Omaha, Nebraska. In fact, it's the home to Warren Buffett. And so I asked Trent at the start of the show, have you ever run into the guy, like just on the street or, you know, somewhere? And, and he tells us quite an interesting, quite a funny story that I'm sure you'll like. So that's coming up in the show. Uh, Trent is a stock options trader, but a lot of what he does isn't your typical stock and options trading strategy. In fact, it's more aligned to what everyone else is doing in other markets that aren't stock options. So interesting wee chat we've got here. Trent's a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So that's coming up in a second. Now, before we get into it, I just want to mention that uh, I started something different this week. Uh, well, I started it, I did it for one day, and it just got me thinking, I've got so many gadgets that I do drop on the show, and I always seem to be getting these new gadgets, and most of them I use all the time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a gadget show, a gadgets page up in the, in the website. Hopefully it goes up before this uh, episode goes out, out the door. If not, just keep checking back, and I'll let you know via email when it comes um, and it's going to list all the gadgets I've mentioned on the show, and uh, yeah, it could even be some that I mentioned in the 52 Traders podcast as well. They'll all be there, and so you'll have one place to go if you're ever thinking, what was that gadget he was talking about, or how do I find it, or which ones are using? I'll show you where to go. Just head over to that page. Um, what I did try this week was collagen in powder format. So a mate of mine that I play football with mentioned it, said his wife started doing it or taking it daily. He started taking it. He said his like hair was growing like really strong, his nails, he was cutting his nails three or four, like, twice a week, I think, his toenails. I didn't want to do that, and look, I've got no hair, so I don't really care if I get hair or not. Um, but he also said the joints, well, his joints seemed much more supple when he, he had uh, a sore wrist or something, and then after a day it had disappeared. So I thought, look, I'll give it a go for that because my joints are pretty bad. And I've got to say, it felt like I dropped 10 years in one day. So guys, if, you, if you're suffering from joint pain and look, being hunched over a computer chair and, and looking at the charts all the time, it could be it could be something you do suffer from. I know I, I get a sore neck now and again. Then worthwhile checking out or if you've got arthritis like my mum's got terrible arthritis at the moment so I've said to her go and check this stuff out give it a go it's going to get her off the pain medication and that sort of thing so guys if you know people that are suffering from pain with arthritis or, or something like that 
give it a go, get them to give it a go. Um, I'll put the link up. It is a New Zealand company, which I didn't realize at the time, but yeah, the one that I'm looking at is New Zealand. No doubt they've got it all over the world. Um, so yeah, guys, go and check that out. Now, uh, last but not least, if you haven't been following me on the Instagram, so I'm on the Instagram, I'm posting up the odd story here and there, which means daily sort of updates, they go up and they disappear. So if you want to check that out and keep sort of really abreast with what's going on in the show and also what's going on with uh, some of the robots I'm trading, then you can head over there and check that out. So I've had uh, I've had the first losing week on this robot that was going really well last week, and that was it was only a 3% loss on the 400 and 30% gain that it's made. So so I was fairly happy with how that ended up. Um, if you guys want to get hold of this robot or any of the other robots in the, in the club, you, you've got, well, for this one particularly, you need to sign up for the club. Then you can either wait and it will get given to you as a membership, part of your membership, or you can just go and buy it outright and you don't have to wait. Um, so that's how it works. The other option you've got is to learn how to build these robots yourself, and I do have a little course on that. No coding required, and you can learn to build that. Um, any any kind of strategy you want yourself, and it you can do it pretty quickly as well. Now, last but not least, let's say thanks to the guys who have headed over to the Trading Up Bar, the virtual bar, and bought me a drink. So that's Peter Godfrey, Jado Lavo, and Kevin Garber. So guys, thanks very much. And thanks to you, Jado, for doing it twice. So this is the second time you've been there. Brilliant. Loving your work. Uh, guys, there's also another option up there. If you do want to advertise on this podcast, you can pay a little bit of money. It's not that much. So if you've got a business that you want to advertise, you want me to mention it, then I'm happy to do that. If you head over there, you'll see the option. And uh, yeah, you'll get in the podcast. You can stay there forever. All right, guys, let's get on with the show with Trent. It's fantastic. I know you're going to love it. I'll see you on the other side. All right, folks, we've got Trent Smalley here from Omaha Charts, based in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. And so we had a quick chat before the show around um, the the most famous person, I suppose, uh, from Omaha, Warren Buffett. So, Trent, yeah, welcome to the show first. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, do you want to sort of give the guys the summary of what you sort of told me around, like, you know, I I was quite sort of intrigued just to find out whether or not, you know, you saw the guy around or um, <laughs> you know, he gave you any hot for tips sure. on the street or anything like that. But um, yeah. what, what does it look like for someone who lives in Omaha? Do you see see Warren Buffett and any other famous people knocking around? Uh, absolutely. So you, you, you see him, if, if you're kind of ingrained in the finance community, you see him at least once a year. And that is during the annual Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting, uh, the first week of May every year. And that brings in, I don't even know the numbers anymore, but, um, brings in probably upwards of 25, 30, 40,000 people, uh, into the shareholder meeting that they've had running now for, 40 plus years. Um, so if you attend that, obviously you see him there. Um, he has an area of town called Dundee. Um, that's where he lives. It's kind of in midtown Omaha. Uh, Old Wealth is there. He's got his favorite steakhouses uh, in the area. Um, but you'll see him. He, he pops up from time to time. He's in the Omaha World Herald, kind of the major newspaper here. If he buys a new car, a new Cadillac or something like that, he'll be in the news. He goes to a lot of, um, in Nebraska, college football is, is a big deal. Uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers uh, play in Lincoln, uh, which is about an hour drive from here, not quite. He's an avid Husker football fan, basketball fan, uh, big supporter of the University of Nebraska. So he's around from time to time. He always shows up in the paper. Um, so he's kind of a, a friendly face around Omaha, I guess you could say. 
And have you ever been sort of caught lining up behind uh, behind them and a ready to pay the bill or anything like that, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see them in the yeah. supermarket? So, yeah. So actually, I, I was a funny story when I was first. It's probably two thousand eight or two thousand and nine. And I first started making money. One of the first things I bought, I upgraded a, at that time, like a 50-inch plasma TV. It was the first, one of the first things I bought out of college, as you would as, you know, a, a poor college kid who had a couch and, a, and an old TV. The first thing I chose to upgrade was a, was a TV. And I went to Nebraska Furniture Mart. It's a huge uh, furniture store here and in Kansas City. Um, and he was shopping. And the sales clerk that was helping me said, uh, oh, I'm happy to see you. I was a little nervous with that last uh, client. And I was like, what, are you new or anything like that? And he's like, no, it was Warren Buffett. And I said, oh, well, what TV did he buy? He said, well, uh, he, he was taking a look at one. It wasn't the top of the line or anything like that. And he said he was going to go have lunch while he thought about it. So... <laughs> That kind of gives you an indication as to his thinking behind, you know, the decisions that he makes. And, and I think part of it, he probably does that for just to kind of keep up that folksy, cheap, penny pinching uh, image that he has. Yeah. Uh, but this guy did say that he said uh, he was going to think about it. Uh, it was probably a $3,000 TV at the time. He was going to think about that <laughs> worth over probably $25 billion. Um, so, <laughs> but I have seen him in public several times. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, cool. Well, look, um, today's all about you. Uh, we're not going to talk about Warren Buffett. It is a financial show, mm. but you know, we're not going to go sure. in there um, until I get him on the podcast later on. In the, there you go. In I'll the ask, year. I'll, yeah, yeah, when I see him, I'll ask him. Uh, yeah. He's next up. Yeah, cool. Um, so, how did things start off for you? you? You just mentioned there, you know, it was out, out of college and you'd started making some money. Was that money, were you making that, that money in the market or was that just. You know, yeah, job. yeah. So my kind of my intro overall uh, to markets was uh, my older brother. So I'm 35 years old. My older brother is 12 years older than me, um, and his best friend growing up for a long time was a uh, real smart guy, sharp math major, economics major, and he went to Arizona, and he had a opportunity right out of college or shortly thereafter, to trade on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And I believe he was in like the cattle pit, or it was like the pork belly pit or something like that at the time. So we traded ag futures on the floor, the old open outcry when that was kind of still still around. And we went out to visit him one summer, and I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. You know, I was in eighth or ninth grade at the time. My brother was had had some idea what he did, um, but I started looking into it more and more. And as I went through high school, it's kind of something that was always in the back of my mind. Um, but everybody would tell you, oh, it's too risky. It's, it's speculative. It's, it's very difficult. You can go bust. You can lose a lot of money, stuff like that. So while I was going through college, that was always um, kind of in the back of my mind because I bounced around. I went from psychology to biology to chemistry to taking the law school uh, entrance exam, um, and I just had a lot of interests and I couldn't ever decide on, um, one path, whether it was going to be medical school, law school, I just couldn't decide. And so my older brother's friend, um, had said, well, I'm working for this company called DTN. And, and this was shortly after he had, um, run his stint kind of on the floor being a trader. Um, and they have, uh, 
analytics, market data, and all sorts of market information and strategies. Uh, and that's where he was working. So he said, why don't you come work for me for a year? Um, it's better than just going off and, and jumping into law school or getting an MBA. If it's not something you know you want to do, you're just going to take on a bunch of debt. Come work for me for a year. If you're interested in it, great. If you're not, uh, no harm, no foul. And you won't, you won't have, you know, um, another year of debt from, from college. So I went and worked for him and that's really what got me hooked. And it just happened to be that it was during the, well, what ended up being right before the financial crisis. So when you jump into this business and everything's kind of, uh, you know, brand new to you and then something that like that, that has not happened in uh, really ever, I suppose you could say, um, happens you don't understand why everybody's upset i'm trying to get answers i'm trying to figure out what's going on companies like bear stearns are collapsing and at the time i had no idea why mm. i had no idea what was going on all i did was look at a monitor full of stocks that were read every day and um, obviously it was a it was a huge catastrophe but at that time i did not understand the magnitude of what was going on so by that time though i was hooked and that's kind of what got me started into the business and how did those early years go, or like even the first year? Yeah, so the first year, so I'm 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 working uh, at DTN. Um, I'm talking to traders every single day. I work in our active trader department. So these are guys who are using our platforms to um, to analyze the market. Uh, a lot of them are are short term speculator speculators and futures. A lot of e minis traders, uh, obviously in in Omaha, lots of lots of corn futures traders, soybeans, and so forth. Uh, a lot of options traders around, and guys who are using market data and APIs uh, that we offer to develop their own algorithmic trading strategies. And with every with every customer, while I was doing business development and kind of helping onboard customers into trading platforms and selling market data and research, I was listening to what every one of them had to say because it was just a well of information. I mean, I would talk to guys who were um, brand new in the business and uh, like I was, and I would talk to guys who were managing, um, you know, a half a billion dollars working for a hedge fund, um, all sorts of strategies, all sorts of different ideas and methodologies around how to make money. And I would just, I had a notebook with, with notes that I would take I had Investopedia. Uh, it's a website. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. It is. <laughs> when you're new to the business, I had Investopedia up on one of my monitors all day long because these guys were spouting off things I had no idea. Call option, put option, <laughs> implied volatility. I had no idea what they were talking about. So I was, I was one hand on the phone, the other hand, um, you know, typing in Investopedia. What, what is this guy talking about? So I owe a lot to some of those early phone calls, probably the first couple of years. And from there, I just kind of decided with every paycheck that I get, um, you know, from, from working here, I started funding a small trading account. Maybe it was, you know, 500 or $1,000 every, every month or every other month. And I just started buying stocks. And at that point, I was, I was buying stocks without, there was no charts up. There was no anything. There was watching tickers, scanning sites on the news, like CNBC, um, the street.com at the time was huge. 
I was buying stocks that other people were recommending and um, you can assume uh, about how that went. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It's so, usually, usually when they start recommending it on CNBC, it's, it's yeah, usually when everyone's selling. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I got, so I got into that with, you know, the good news at the time was it's, you don't have much money to lose. So you don't have any money to start with. So if you lose 300 or 500 or a thousand dollars, it was not the end of the world. I had a, I was, I was blessed to have a, a, a well-paying job straight out of college with little to no debt. My overhead was always real low. So I had a lot of expendable income and, and I credit a lot of the early phone calls with traders to kind of, kind of light the way for me, I guess. And how did you sort of come up with a, a an eventual approach? Yeah. Yeah. So I started with basic stocks and I was, I, when I really started gaining an account that, that I could do some damage with, it was kind of in the, it had been a year and a half or so. And it was after everything had collapsed. I remember buying shares of Ford, I think at a dollar 75 or 85. I remember buying Las Vegas Sands at five bucks and I would get busy with work, forgot that I bought them. My position sizing was, oh, I guess I'll just buy 100 shares because that's, you know, that seems about right. Um, and I would hold and then I would, come, I would forget about it totally. And then several weeks later, I would come back and, wow, I'm, I made 10 or 15 or 20% on these things. And so I had no strategy at first. And so I thought, of course, probably like most new people do or beginner, beginner's luck, I was Mr. Boy Genius, and I don't need this job anymore, and I'm going to go off, and I'm just going to trade stocks. I'm going to make all this money. Well, that of course, um, that that doesn't work. <laughs> um, so um, I knew that if I ever wanted to take this in a direction where I wanted to become more than just a gambler, I was going to have to get serious about it. And I started doing some, some Googling online, and I ran across the CFA program, um, chartered financial analyst program and i remember the the website that i came across and it's still around today it was wall street oasis and everybody said if you wanted to know what was going on if you wanted to get a job at a high paying firm if you wanted to work for a hedge fund you got to get a cfa and so i bought the books um one summer um, and basically read all the way through those and it's a, if anybody who's ever done the CFA knows it's a, it's a grueling endeavor. It's just a lot of, of memorization and understanding um, finance. And it was especially difficult for me because I wasn't, I didn't come from a real finance background. I was more science. I'm technical, but it was just all a whole new language to me. And so I started doing that. And then I would get in these trading rooms because I had started in a trading room back then um, and these guys were talking about Bollinger Bands, and I was sitting here trying to explain to them, you know, the accounting fundamentals behind a certain company. And they're like, dude, you're going to get killed trading, trying to use this information. This is not, this is not going to do you justice. Uh, it's not going to help you in terms of trading goes, and that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and so I, after the the studying the CFA for a while, I jumped over and I found the Chartered Market Technicians program. And that was exactly what I was looking for, I guess, in terms of a, a rigorous background in technical analysis that 
you could use every day to basically specify your risk reward, um, understand supply and demand dynamics in the market, and basically everything that I put together as a trading plan at that time was based on technicals. All of the well, it was great to have, I credit the level one CFA information, kind of having a background in broad finance. Um, it's good to have. Uh, but when you are managing your own, say, retail account, and you're trying to grow an account um, in the manner that I was trying to do it, um, the technical analysis was the only way that I could see feasible to do that. Um, so and so, how did you? I suppose there's a, you know, there would have been a lot in that chartered markets uh, technicians mm-hmm. course or uh, training that you took. Now, how did you sort of work out these are the ones that I'm going to use? Did you did you have to backtest them or, or what did you do? Yeah, yeah. So so I went through and and probably like a lot of guys when they come to technical analysis is you you start by going through every single indicator. Um, you have your price and your volume on a chart and you start by going, all right, I'm going to use the, let's, let's say the MACD. Um, and you go through and you mark on chart. What I would do is every day at the end of the day, I would print off this chart. So I had these stacks of, of charts just sitting on my desk at work at home. And I would go through and I'd make little marks like, okay, here was a signal. Here was a signal. Here was a signal. Oh, look, this looks like it's, these all would have worked out. So you put you keep the MACD on the chart, and the next day, you, I, I would put you know, let's say I have a ten thousand dollar account, I would bet, I would I would say take a ten percent position, way too big, in one single stock, and sure enough, the signal, the MACD signal, which worked, back tested all those through all those spreadsheets or, or pictures that I printed out did not work, went went against me almost immediately. So then you get mad. You say technical analysis does not work. Uh, I think everybody's probably uh, been there at one point in time. So then what I would do is I would jump over to another indicator. Maybe it's a moving average. Maybe it's Bollinger Bands. Um, So really, I I tested my way through probably 30 different indicators. Um, Some work better than others. Some work really well if you pair them. together uh, kind of as a duo um, or, or a confluence if you will uh, and I went through a lot of back testing I mean until I found you know indicators that at the time uh, seemed to work better than others in certain market environments um, I used I used different time frames I, I used multi time frame approaches and I was, I was just searching for something that was your quote, quote, holy grail um, to give me signals that would work close to every time. And you will, you will be testing forever if that is what you're looking for, because that does not exist. So <laughs> there, are, there are things that work very well in certain market environments. And then once that market environment changes, it, it falls by the wayside. So I was just Mr. Print out charts every day, bunch of different indicators, jump back and forth. And I had no real system. I was just kind of, while I was using technicals, 
I don't think that I was applying them correctly back in my old indicator days. Um, so it led to a lot of account churning. You know, you'd be up 20% one month and down 20 the next and then up 10 and then down 30. And then, so I was never really going anywhere in those, in the early days, I would say. And so, so how did you ch- eventually, I suppose, find success and change things around? Um, I, I like to tell people that I think for me, um, it took me longer to become consistently profitable than, than maybe some. And that's because I was Mr. Um, uh, analysis Paralysis. I was, I needed an, I, I came from a scientific kind of background. So unlike markets, most things in, in mathematics, in science, if you have a repeatable approach that can be duplicated, you will um, end up in, in, in an answer that is probably more correct than not, more often than not. With markets, that's not true because we know that there is a huge uh, emotional element to markets. And that's something that financials can't take into account. That's something that, uh, you know, textbooks can't take into account. And once I caught on to understanding there's no indicator that's going to get me there, there's no um, specific trade setup that's going to get me there, I have... Um, some very favorite uh, trading setups that we can talk about, but um, it really came down to understanding one, the type of market environment that we're in uh, for what I'm trading. Uh, Are we in a range bound market? Are we in a market that is in price discovery mode or trending and using specific indicators uh, to get me into those uh, stocks when we are in trending mode uh, or, are we in a are we in a, a range bound market where I have to change my strategy uh, because nothing really sticks? You're up one day, down the next, up one day, down the next. So I think what really changed it for me was being able to zoom out, maybe looking at a weekly or a monthly chart, and saying, let's say I'm in the equities market and I'm trading uh, options on individual stock indexes or individual equities. If I'm in a market that's trending, like we have now, that has just broken out of a, a, a fairly long consolidation, um, I have a specific skill set and system that I use. If I'm in a range-bound market, that system changes somewhat, actually quite a bit. Um, so I think understanding what type of market environment you're in by zooming out, taking a look at are we trending, are we not, is the basis of any good trading system. If that makes some sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you so you took that sort of overall view, looked at the market, are we trending, are we consolidating, up or down trend, etc. And then you had a different system for every kind of uh, or each kind of market. So what about the so my question there is what about the the transition between one market environment to the other? How did you deal with that? Cuz I I always find that quite a tricky thing to to tr- mm-hmm. work out. You, you know the a lot of times with that, you can tell. So every day on my screen, I have I, I watch the the U.S. futures indexes, a few of the world uh, futures indexes, the major ones, uh, the FTSE, um, you know, Australian markets, markets in China like you know, Shanghai, um, 
and you can tell if there are divergences among these things. So I remember in, in the fourth quarter of 2008, there was a dead giveaway at the time that we were perhaps entering uh, a market environment that was going that that had uh, risk to the downside. In other words, if I was looking at the S and P futures, Nasdaq futures, Dow futures, and Russell, so S and P obviously is your uh, your probably the broadest index that it's the benchmark by which every, everybody's paying attention to that. Uh, if you're if you're kind of uninitiated in the business, everybody's talking about the Dow. Um, but the S&P is really what everybody is paying attention to. NASDAQ is obviously heavily uh, tech-weighted. And then there's the Russell, which is 2,000 small-cap stocks. And this particular index is kind of the signal of a risk-on, uh, a risk-off environment. And going into uh, Q4, I think it was, it was September, late September, early October, the Russell started to drop off. In other words, it was while the S&P and NASDAQ were, were still you know, trudging along, uh, doing their thing, trending, the Russell uh, would have a negative divergence almost daily for weeks before the big sell-off kind of happened. And we, I think we ended up losing like almost 20%. It was, it was 20% on an intraday basis, but it didn't quite hit the quote-quote uh, media's re- representation of a bear market, which is closing uh, at 20% down. But this was a dead giveaway. And so you can watch indexes and say, well, why is, why is the Russell lagging? Or why is it, why is it, started, to, it started a downtrend while the S&P and NASDAQ continue to go up? So there's little signs and things like that. Or a lot of people will watch uh, you know, the TLT, or the, the that's an ETF that, that follows bonds uh, and interest rates. So kind of the the interplay and intermarket analysis between the different asset classes is what can really key you in on an environment that may be changing. You don't want too much, and we've been in an environment actually for a while where the Russell has kind of lagged on this way back up, and it still is. Um, so I see on... I, and if you're watching financial Twitter, that worries some people. I understand why, because um, it kind of let us down last time. Uh, but you can watch these different uh, these different indexes and signals for uh, an environment that's going to go from trending to maybe heavily choppy for a while, or um, an environment that gets fast. In other words, you get these uh, spikes in volatility, um, the H- the ATR average true range. Um, begins to spike. So you're getting swings every single day that are um, going to make it going to make the waters choppy for a while. So if you're a trend trader, it might be time to step aside. Maybe it's time to get out your old blueprint for a, a market that is maybe better for a day trader than somebody who's swinging or holding, um, you know, for five days, 10 days, two weeks, a month, whatever it may be. Okay. And so, so we, when did the, when did things like finally you thought hey i've actually got this was there a was there a day was there a moment or was it more of just like a an overall like over a few months i tended to be improving yeah yeah i had a i had a moment of reckoning i I tell people and i've I've blogged 
kind of extensively about this, but that, that same time period um, that I just kind of spoke about where we had the Russell divergence coming into it. Um, I'm, by the way, uh, by and large, an options trader. So um, I use options in a way that most would say um, doesn't work, which is directionally trading options based on technical analysis. Um, it's speculative. It's difficult. Uh, I don't trade spreads all that often unless we get into an environment where it makes sense to do so. Um, but I really, I really put the pieces together in Q4 of 2018, which I tell everybody was kind of my final market tuition payment. Um, at least I hope. I, I hope that was the end of my four-year or six-year or whatever it was, that last big check that I wrote. Because I had had a tremendous year. And I came into 2018 and I think that, that final quarter, and I was up big. And I threw I, – I, my ego got in the way, and I basically gave back an entire year's worth of, of gains uh, in, in options trading within two and a half to three months. Actually, I think I dipped – my profit and loss would tell me that I dipped under it just a little bit. Uh, but I thought that I was right. Um, but when you're trading options or really trading anything, you can be right and lose money. And that was kind of my final lesson was you're never – your profit and loss tells you if you're right or wrong. Not what you're seeing on charts or not what you know to be true. Because I had a book of you know front month or a two months out option positions – I knew that I was right, and we ended up turning back around, obviously, on Christmas Eve. But by that time, the damage had been done. And I started putting it all together finally after that when I really started to respect risk. And it really wasn't until then, because by this time, you know, 10 years later after I had started trading, I have a significant amount of to be honest, probably 85 to 90% of my entire net worth in markets at all times um, in, in some fashion or another, um, which most people couldn't sleep at night if that was the case. But that's not all in options, obviously, uh, a small percentage. But the trading book that I run was 75 to 80% in, in fairly you know, front month to next month options, and I took a beating uh, then. And I redid my entire plan as far as not as far as technical analysis or anything like that, but as in, in terms of understanding position sizing more than anything and understanding what I think to be, if you are a trader, the most important thing in your success or your potential success is your position sizing one. And having a money management strategy that makes sense for you and your personality and your risk tolerance. I did not have that until um, that happened to me. And so that, that was kind of the tie-in to, okay, now I can do this as a professional. As a, mm. And I'd already gotten my you know, chartered market tech, technician's designation and all this stuff years prior. But I was not ready to do this in the fashion that I do it now until that happened to me. Um, I traded in a trading room with several others. I'm still 
great friends with today. And we talk about that still to this day, like that, that last quarter of 2018 taught us all a lesson from being um, probably more reckless than we should be um, taking more risks than we should. And we all got hurt, but it's uh, it was a life lesson, a trading lesson that I'll never forget. And I'll never go back to those days of, of kind of throwing risk out the window. And so what, let's, let's dive into some of the, I suppose, your trading style. And uh, I mean, we know you do technical analysis, but what about some, some of the stats around it? So how many trades are you taking in a week, for example? Uh, yeah, let's go with that one first. Yeah, so let's, uh, we can use kind of the current market environment that we've been in, which has been one that has been you know, great for, uh, for folks who can uh, buy and hold. Um, obviously, with, with equity markets trending, I'm, I'm, when I'm talking about this, I'm just kind of using the, the U.S. equity markets overall, I guess. Um, so your average week right now, I'm probably, I manage multiple accounts. Um, each of them has a little bit different. The way it's set up is a little bit different in terms of uh, one account that I manage has a core position of basically seven to 12 stocks that I am position sized between five and 7% of the entire portfolio into those stocks. They're stocks that I've done a considerable amount of work on. They're stocks that I subscribe to uh, institutional research on. Um, and then I trade option positions kind of around that. The account that I manage uh, for options, I trade 20% of the account I allow uh, to be in options. And it doesn't mean that in any one, any one time, let's just take, let's just take a roundabout number, uh, $100,000. $20,000 of that account at any one time could be devoted to options. Generally don't get that high, but that is the maximum that I allow myself. Um, so that is kind of a money management strategy in terms of what percentage of the account allocation I would designate to specific asset class. I usually keep at least 10% of that, uh, probably 15% in cash. So I always have some dry powder if an opportunity comes along uh, or uh, you know, I see something setting up and I don't want to cut something else loose in order to buy it. So I always have probably 10% at least in cash. But I have kind of those seven core positions. I have a couple of uh, several uh, positions that are 3 to 4% of the account in terms of uh, swing trades with stocks, and then that 20% is devoted to options. Generally, these are options of front months, maybe two months out, um, and these are these are all based on technicals, um, lots of different factors that go into that, um, but I have certain patterns and setups that I look for, and a lot of it is based on on relative strength. If you want to make it easy on yourself using technical analysis, couple things you can do. I mean, you, there are guys out there who love to try to pick bottoms. I was one of them for a long time. It looks awesome when you can say, look at this. I bought in at, you know, I bought U.S. Steel when it was eight bucks and, and I bought the bottom. That happens one out of every 50 times. You can make things easy on yourself, especially when you are kind of in that stage where you're building an account. Find those sectors of the market or those industry groups that are exhibiting relative strength. In other words, maybe solar 
Um, I talked about solar towards the end of last year. Um, there's an ETF that tracks solar. It's called TAN. Easy to remember. Um, there's a dozen names in this group of stocks. They've been very, very strong. Find a sector that's strong because those trends, once they're in motion, they tend to stay in motion for a long time. Sure, you'll have little pullbacks and stuff like that as people position size and, and take some off the top. But by and large, TAN, or the solar industry group, has been very strong. Find yourself a stock in that particular industry group that's kind of known as the um, the strength among its peers. And if that stock is in an uptrend, which it should be, if it's, you know, that sector is is relatively strong versus, say, the S&P or against the NASDAQ, then half the battle is right there. You're buying something, you're buying a individual stock in a, in a group of stocks that is trending and has a strong, has a strong trend. That'll help you immensely. And, and, you know, making sure these things are in uptrends. If, if you pull out a, a, a price chart, just do, you could do a line chart even. If this thing is, is in a downtrend, it's going to be very difficult or you're going to make it much harder on yourself if you're trying to buy things in a downtrend. I know that sounds super simple, but it wasn't for me. I mean, I, I, I probably took 100 trades. If I took 100 trades, I bet you at one point, 75 of them were probably against the trend. Right. I was like, why do these things keep not working? Well, because I'm trying to bottom pick and be a hero and, and my ego is involved there. And you can make things a whole lot easier on yourself by buying a pullback in a stock like Lulu. Every institution out there wants to own Lulu. Every time it pulls back, it might get to like an eight-day uh, EMA or, or if you're lucky, a 20-day uh, uh, moving average. If it gets to there, you know, position size right, understand where, where you, you know you're wrong, um, and buy it. I mean, these... Buy, buying stocks that are strong already is the key to success. And it's it's not as cool as picking bottoms. It does not look as cool. But if you buy a stock like Lulu, you buy a stock like, um, well, I don't know, what else is big? Uh, Shopify, I guess it just gapped up on earnings today. But there are some software stocks out there that continue to be dominant, have been dominant. Will they turn around? Probably. But Make sure to buy stocks that are in relatively strong industry groups, sectors of the market, and half of your work is done. And so are you selling it all or are you only looking for, for buy trades? Uh, so in terms of – so I do – once in a while I do take – I mean in, in this market environment, that's a good question for – kind of goes back to what type of market environment that you're, that you're in. This type of market environment where we are trending and we are trending hard, um, the best system that I have ever worked out is using the leverage of options um, in order to increase your percentage gain. Um, I, I have sold uh, premium. I know that's a popular there's, – there's lots of trading outfits that are going to teach you selling premium and sophisticated option strategies – and I still to this day have Sheldon Natenberg's uh, uh, option pricing and volatility, kind of the, one of the Bibles of options trading on my desk. This particular market that we're in now, um, and this again is probably unique to each individual person, but 
I don't see the point in a lot of those option strategies are for somebody who doesn't uh, doesn't think that you can predict a direction. I'm a technical analyst. I'm, I've spent my I've spent 10 years trying to figure out how to predict direction and how to forecast moves. If you're not into technicals and you don't like the voodoo behind it, lots of sophisticated techniques and options that you can put together to take advantage of high volatility environments like selling premium. Right now, volatility is super low, so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, to sell premium. Now, into maybe you're an earnings trader, um, so you like to um, you know, trade around earnings like, like Facebook and Apple and Netflix and some of these stocks that are poised to move big into earnings. There's straddles and strangles and, and condors and all sorts of different diagonal strategies that you can run. I did that for a long time, and that kind of went back to at the time I was doing it, we were probably in a trending market, and you know, I, I never was able to make any ground doing that. Um, and I think maybe that what I just said right there about directionally trading options and not, uh, I probably don't even remember, honestly, how to do a lot of the super sophisticated condors and stuff like that. I just don't, for me, I don't see the need for it for, I guess, how I trade. So what do you recommend, I suppose, somebody looking at a price chart, three things that they could go and educate themselves on? What What would you recommend around stock and options? Trading? Sure. Yeah, sure. So, so my... Um, did a post on this at some point last year. My, my so-called undisputed um, kind of king of technical indicators is called volume profile. Uh, volume profile is if I had to just have a chart with price, um, really it could, be, it could be a line chart, it could be a bar chart, candlesticks, whatever it is, and volume profile. You can get this on almost any charting software out there now and some of them are getting pretty sophisticated with the ways you can manipulate the profile and so forth um i would just need price and volume profile if i only had to pick two and um i can probably credit um a lot of people have probably heard of uh futures trader 71 oh he's on been on Twitter. the show yeah uh, yeah my, oh, great. my old Morat. show 52 yeah, traders good... Oh, yeah. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So Morad is a, he's a good friend of mine. Um, I remember paying for a video course of his probably back in 2010 where he taught volume profile. He, he started with kind of the, the basis of the regular market profile um, with the different day types and so forth. And he put his own spin on it with volume profile. Ever since then, that has been the one thing that almost any chart that I share on Twitter share on my website, you'll almost always see volume profile on there. Um, there could be, there's some really good, he's a, he's a great one to learn volume profile with. Um, but that is one that if you can find a book, I don't have a, I don't have a real good recommendation for a book on volume profile. I'm sure there's a lot of good information out there. Um, but that is the one indicator that I see and have hundreds of examples of how you can use this to identify very solid support and resistance levels. And it's one of those things where I understand why it works. I love the way it works. I hope that it gets to, a, and I don't think this, I've thought about this a lot. I hope this is not an indicator that so many people get a hold of and start to use that it kind of 
phase the 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 usefulness of it kind of phases itself out because it is one of the go-to things that I use on almost every single trade that I make. There's no trade that I get into or even investment that I get into without looking at the volume profile first. And do you use a standard approach to volume profile or do you have your unique sort of take on how you how you work with it? Yeah, um, and I probably have kind of your standard approach um, to it. I use it on um, what I have found, and this is probably based on one of the basic tenets of technical analysis is, let's say you're just looking at a regular daily chart. The more time that you take into consideration, so if you're looking at a one-year daily chart, you've got in, in volume profile theory, your point of control is, is something that you'll learn about, but it's the area or the price at which most within that time period in question, most of the volume at the price at which most of the volume has traded. These are very, very important areas. They are important uh, at the daily level, taking in one year of, of historical data into account, taking two years, taking five, taking 10 years. Um, that is a, uh, that's, that's a super important premise. Volume pockets or gaps where uh, you know, price maybe has gapped down or gapped up on earnings that leave gaps in your profile. Hugely important to understand kind of the ramifications and how price acts around those levels as well. And then even from a um, kind of a, if you'll remember back in statistics class, if anybody stayed awake uh, through that, the, the bell curve, um, understanding that how standard deviation uh, comes into play and how price stays within two standard deviations of, say, a specific moving average or a specific volume point of control, uh, you know, 68% of the time, 95% of the time within one and two standard deviations. And if it gets too far stretched out from kind of its home base or where it feels most comfortable, you can bet a, a pullback or a snapback is going is around the corner because price tends to stay within a specific standard deviation of your volume profile or your indicator, whatever you're using. Um, and so there's kind of three different ways that it's hugely powerful, probably support and resistance, knowing where those levels are. Volume profile, I, I have never found a better way to kind of forecast where price is going to, maybe not stop, Maybe you're long in a stock and you want to know if you're an options trader, you're in Netflix and you want to know, all right, I'm in, I'm in, I'm looking at calls. I'm pretty sure this is going to continue its uptrend, uh, possibly break out from maybe a cupping pattern, but I don't know which strike to buy or how much time to buy. Volume profile is a critical tool that you could use to kind of forecast. All right. There's a big shelf of volume above at say 400, um, it's definitely going to at least probably bump its head up near that price. And it's probably going to pull back once or twice before it makes its way through there. Volume profile is going to tell you that. So that is my go-to that has been, that has been a, a you know, I, I credit a lot to, to futures trader 71 for kind of introducing us to that years and years ago. And I've kind of just 
put together my own strategy around that particular indicator. Yeah. I don't even know who developed it, actually. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I did actually dive into it, into it probably about the same time that I stumbled across uh, Morad. And mm-hmm. we had a number of interviews with various traders that had used Volume Profile. And uh, I think there's even a, a, a wee course up on the, in my shop. Um, but yeah, guys, if you if you're listening to this and you're wondering about Volume Profile, and you, you know, go and check out. There, there should be a few other interviews. You better search for that on the on the show notes. Now, I'm um, going to head into the technical round. So this is my quick fire round to find out sure. what it takes to become successful. So uh, at this game, so first off, how long did it take you to go from trading newbie to consistently profitable? Consistently profitable um, was something that it came right away. Then it left, then it came right away, then it left. I would say for me, five years um, doing it almost more full time. Um, if, if it was anything less than that, five years was really the point where I had really stumbled and, and, and made myself understand risk. So okay. five years for me. Thinking about a trader's mindset, do you have any special techniques you can share with the listeners? Yes. Um, you have to understand what your emotional makeup is when it comes to money. And a lot of that comes from funding an account with money that you can lose, understanding you can lose that, making sure that that is not your next month's mortgage payment or car payment or health insurance payment or whatever it may be. But just knowing your emotional relationship with money and knowing if you are somebody who is uh, timid, who has trouble pulling the trigger on a trade, who you know has a huge risk appetite, that's me. You have to understand where you are kind of on that spectrum. And if you could fill out kind of a personality profile somewhere before you get into that, how would I feel if I lost $10,000 next month versus how would I feel if I made $10,000 next month and any, anything in between? Understanding um, kind of your risk appetite and your personality around money would be huge. And that's not taught everywhere. Um, cool. Okay. What's your favorite entry setup? I like to buy pullbacks in, in uptrends. Um, or I like to anticipate breakouts in, in proper cup and handle patterns. So make sure you're in an uptrend if you're going to get long. And then a pullback into a, using volume profile, maybe a pullback into a volume point of control, a pullback into a 20-day SMA, which is the mid-range of a Bollinger Band. Watching specific levels and knowing that there is going to be a reaction at those levels. So you've got an uptrend and you want to get long. You don't want to buy the absolute top. Wait for a little bit of a pullback. And then as soon as that pullback starts to get bought, I, I love to jump in there. What strategies do you use to exit or manage active trades? In, in terms of technicals, I use the volume profile again. Um, so if you are, not to sound like a broken record, but if you are in a, a trade and it's going in your favor um, and you see a HVN or a high volume node 
uh, an area where there is a thick mass of volume um, ahead. Let's say you're it's you're trading um, again. You're trading Netflix, and you see that there is a high volume node. It's it's close to 380 today. You see there's a high volume node at 390. I would be looking to at least book um, my original. Generally, what I have been doing is I book my original. Um, let's say it's a it's a 50% gain. I'll book half of that trade at 50 to 75%, and then I will leave a runner on and just see how that runner reacts, almost playing with house money, how it reacts up at that area, which I think to be resistance. Nice. And uh, what's, do you have any recommended trading books? Actually, yes. Um, and it's one that I just read um, recently uh, after my fiasco and end of 2018. It's called Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom. Uh, it's by Van K. Tharp. I had never read a trading book by, and I have a hundred of them, technical books, uh, all sorts of financial modeling books, but I'd never read somebody who was able to take you from thinking that stock picks really matter. Yes, like I said, it matters that you're in an uptrend, but there's so much more behind a proper trading system. This book will give you that. It'll it'll teach you risk. It'll teach you position sizing, money management, and everything in between. And it made it clear to me that it's not the ticker that you're trading that is the most important thing. In fact, it's not even not even in the top two probably of the most important things. And that that book kind of filled in a lot of gaps that I had had uh, over time. Okay, so if there was one thing you'd recommend any retail trader spend the next month mastering what would it be why and how could they go about mastering it yeah so uh, this was one that i had actually read on the intro email that you sent me and i gave this one a lot of thought and what i would do if i were brand new in this business is i would force myself into discipline in other words i still struggle with this today if you're a trader there's noise everywhere if you're on financial twitter you've got tweet deck up People are, you know, spouting, oh, my goodness, this guy made 500% in this options trade or 5,000% or stick to this system and my system of picking stocks and get in my trading room. And this is this this can be a trader's demise if you don't know how to use this information. So what I would do is I would force myself into discipline. I would find a stock in an uptrend. I would say that I'm going to buy it here. And every single time I get to a, let's say we're talking about options. Every time I get to a 50% gain, I cut it. That's a win. Every time this, let's say I get in, every time it gets to a 30% loss, I'm out. Do that 100 times. Because what happens is, or what happened to me was, I would get into an in, into option contract. And let's say I was up 50 to 75%. I would say, oh, I'm just going to leave this thing on. Why would I take it off? I, I bought the time. Uh, you know, I bought tickets to the show. I may as well stick around to, to reap the huge reward and get hundreds of percent. More often than not, I let a lot of those turn into break-even trades, losers. Um, and so that was – I became a gambler. And then the ones that went against me right away and I was down 30%, knowing I should probably cut, and wait it out or find something else that was working, 
I would say, oh, let's just see, let's just see what happens here. That is not having a a fundamental uh, um, money management strategy. And if you don't have one of those, you are going to get into a situation where the market dictates what happens to you instead of you dictating what happens to you. If you take a trade in the direction of the trend and you are able to 100 times in a row, let's say you're just trading stock. Let's say that it goes up 10%. If you're able to cut that and if it goes against you 5%, you're able to cut that 100 times in a row without going, let's see what happens. That discipline is going to take you a long ways. Just getting the repetitions in, knowing that you need to have, you know, more winners than losers, or your winning trades need to be a greater percent than your losing trades if you position size right. So just forcing yourself into that repetitive discipline and knowing that this is a system that if I follow it will work. That is probably the most important thing. Yeah, discipline is is key. Absolutely key. It's huge. Uh, What's your preferred broker on trading platform? I've been with Thinkorswim since I think before they were owned by TD Ameritrade back when their logo was red and they had delayed data. (laughs) So I've used Thinkorswim for a long time. Um, There's a lot of great brokers out there. We are uh, fortunate to live now in an area where if you're coming into the trading business right now, you're coming into it really at the best of times. Most of these brokers just cut commissions. Um, It used to be when I first started, I think it was... $14.95 or $15 to get into a stock or an options trade in and out. And then it went down to $9.95 and you could call your broker and it was five. There is a lot of benefits now to being, to getting into this business. I've used Schwab. Uh, I think I started with E-Trade. Nothing really bad to say about any of them, but I think, you know, kind of bang for the buck, the tools that you get. Um, They got a great platform in Thinkorswim. They got a great mobile platform. TD Ameritrade really has um, some of the best stuff that I've seen. Cool. All right, the last question of the show here, Trent, is we'd like you to give us the bones of a trading strategy. Entry setup, stop loss, take profit targets, market time frame. Basically, basically something our listeners can have a bit of a play with this week at home. Sure. Um, let's, uh, I'm going to try to find an example, uh, perhaps. So I'm in a... I'm in a stock called, uh, for anybody who's been kind of paying attention to individual industry groups um, in in the U.S., the software stocks have been pretty strong uh, recently. There's a, this kind of goes back to that uh, intro uh, part where I mentioned that if you buy a stock that is in a strong industry group that's relatively strong uh, compared to, to something else, um, you've, you've got half the battle. So there's a, there's an ETF. Um, it's called sky S K Y Y. It has a lot of these kind of software stocks, uh, in them. A lot of them you'll notice if you look through them have kind of carved out the same sort of pattern. I'll use one for example right here. And the only reason this is a bad example is earnings are in a couple days. And with earnings, we understand that everything could happen. But uh, the ticker is AYX. And you can see if you're looking at this chart, it is basically a strong uptrend into a big base that has been being built since September of last year. 
and it is a big cup um, that has put in a small handle and it is right back to that area of the highs that it was at uh, kind of last fall before the market sold off. Um, it's right back there. So this is a this is an anticipatory type of trade. Let's just say that, that there was no earnings um, because generally I don't take earnings trades. I used to, but um, I, I don't now. Um, this is the type of, of stock that I would say I would get in here and I would specify a, a risk level, of course, position sizing right. So um, if you look at a... YX and you put a let's just say you put a regular you can do you can do a couple things you could use a moving average um, let's just say an eight day uh, EMA uh, is pretty popular 20 day SMA pretty popular just say that if it if, if it would come back down in and say close through um, a 20 day uh, simple moving average close under that I would probably look to cut the trade and see if it kind of shook itself out and got back above um, based on position sizing. But this is a cup that has kind of has a little bit of a handle that just looks primed for a breakout here. Um, been in this one for in stock for, for quite a while. Um, and I would put the trade on here in anticipation that this thing starts its next leg higher after it's kind of consolidated here in the cupping or part of the pattern. Um, and I would cut it if it broke under, you know, say, mm, that would be probably one, 125, one, one, 130. Yeah, 130 would be about where I would look to cut. And this is just based on, again, if you're buying something in anticipation of it continuing to go up, you can use something as simple as a, a moving average system, eight day EMA, 10 day, 20 day. They're all very popular. I don't know if it's a self uh, fulfilling aspect of technical analysis, but these are areas where if this stock pulls back, it's a great fundamental stock to begin with. It's in a hugely strong uptrend. If it would break below that, I would say something's probably wrong. There's a seller here. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to circle out of it and I'll keep it on a watch list. Brilliant. Look, we can um, maybe we can have a chat about that when we jump on a video after this. So before we wrap sure. up, what's the best way to, for traders to get hold of you? Yeah, so I'm um, fairly active on, on Twitter at, at Omaha Charts, um, and uh, omahacharts.com is my website. Um, you can Trent at Omaha Charts is the email. Uh, I always tell people, if you have questions about, I don't have anything really to sell you, um, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm trading. If you need help with trading tools, I can get you in the right spot. I've probably used them all. Uh, market data, I can get you in the right spot. Um, but don't hesitate to reach out. I, I give people my phone number if you want to if you want to talk over trading, your trading strategy, whatever it may be. Um, I'm, I'm happy to help however I can. And if, if you're brand new to it, um, you know, give me a call. I can hopefully save you uh, three years years uh, too long that it took me to figure this kind of figure this all out so brilliant well look a big thank you to trent for sharing with us today everything we discussed along with all the links are in the show notes to find them simply search for trent in the search box on tradingnut.com until next time i wish all my listeners trading happiness and success 
So there we have it, folks. Interview with Trent done. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And do remember, head over to the YouTube channel and you'll find a video that we shot after the show to, I suppose, flesh this out a little bit more. So tradingnut.com, you'll find it in the show notes or you can find it on the YouTube channel. And do remember to check me out on Instagram as well. I'll see you next week. Have a great time in the markets. Until then.